everyone. In this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we are going to explore the role of the museum in this new age of gun ownership. We've been talking about gun owners as well, new gun owners during the pandemic, we've been talking about, you know, new gun collectors. Well, what about museum visitors that are new gun owners? Right. Like there's got to be some crossover, right? I would think so. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Are we giving ourselves too much credit? Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's a combination of factors because the CFM is in a, a bit of a unique place because this year as travel starts to open up and what we're already seeing, and by the time this episode releases, I'm sure we'll have seen even more of is like a huge surge in demand for domestic travel. Yeah, I flying here yesterday through Salt Lake. I mean, it was like overwhelmingly busy and I fly all the time. And I I remember like if you the new Salt Lake, you go down to go across to the Mm -hmm. new terminal and like descending down into this walkway, this pathway that takes you to Terminal B is like I was just like, there is no space for anybody. So, I mean, it's true. I mean, there's this huge push now for everyone to start traveling. Um, and, you know, where are they going to go? To some of the first places that opened up would happen to be lots of states in the Rocky Mountain West. And oh, is that true? I mean, I, that's, <laughs> just, that's just your best guess because you want it to be true. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some truth to it in that people have gone are going to states where things are opening up. And, like... There's a couple of facets to it because if you're interested in traveling and you're sort of tired of the rules and COVID regulations, like you're probably going to pick a state where there's – that is – Fewer restrictions. Yeah, there's fewer restrictions, which Wyoming happens to be one. Yeah. And if you're nervous about like states are, you know, um, getting rid of restrictions too quickly and you're just sort of nervous about the virus in general – you might want the wide open spaces that the West brings. And and then you get into the museum and you realize it's packed. <laughs> and then you get to the museum and realize that there's 2,000 people here. When Marley was going potty, I mean, we watched a bus tour get on. So I guess bus tours are back. I mean, that's a pretty tight t- tight yeah. group of people. Like. Yeah, bus tours are happening again. So there's, there's lots of things that are like driving visitation, I think. And then, of course, as we already talked about this season, there's all these things that have driven new ownership, potentially new collecting. And I think it's really interesting in the museum where we sit is like, what does that mean for our attendance? Because museums, like, especially in a location where we're at, we sort of thrive or falter on our our yearly attendance numbers. If we have a down year, like people freak out about budgets, all those sorts of negatives. If we have a good year, you know, it, it's it's just what drives tourism in general, museums especially. And so... What does this all mean for us? And what does it mean all for us as a firearms museum with so many new gun owners? Well, and I think part of, well, I guess one thing is that I would guess that not a lot of new gun owners are like looking up gun museums. Right. They didn't like, 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 oh, I got a gun. I'm going to go to a gun museum. In Wyoming. (laughs) In Wyoming. (laughs) But I think it also opens up the, okay, so we've got, you know, people who are wanting to travel. Um, They may or may not be gun owners. And then what can we do in terms of interpretation? Um, for those people so that when they come here, they don't feel preached at or they don't feel like there's a huge bias. Um, You know, it's really, I mean, I know we've talked about this a lot with the new, when we rebuilt the Cody Firearms Museum, but I guess now that we've rebuilt the Cody Firearms Museum, if you want to know what we've talked about, like literally listen to like any episode for the past four seasons. Um, But I think let's, like maybe let's do an exercise where 
we look at what we've got now and how what's outdated about it. You know, what can we, you know, how can we better address this right. influx of an audience that may or may not be, you know, thinking about guns because of everything that's gone on uh, or thinking about guns in a negative light because of all of the, you know, recent shootings. And, and the, I think it's like, I don't know if gun deaths are up, but I think like violence in itself is trending yeah, the, upwards. the stats after like, Lots and lots of years of a pretty steady decline, like 2020 through the numbers yeah. a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was thinking it's good that you brought that point up because there's there's a there's a marketing aspect to this, right? Yeah. Like how do we make a potential new audience aware of us? Yeah. Especially, I mean, this year it's probably too late because we're already into our tourist season. So and like, there are no rental cars in Cody. And there's no so. <laughs> rental cars. So how are they going to get here? Yeah. So, like, there's that problem. But there's also the... There's the marketing question, but there's also the interpretive question. So, yeah. like, how do we connect with people um, that aren't familiar? And do we just, like, rest on our laurels and be like, we designed this museum to be a place for even novices to learn? Or is there something that we need to do, you know, better to reach this new audience who, let's face it, there's probably a decent chunk of all those new gun owners that are you know, history fans at some level and would enjoy this content. Well, and I think, um, you know, the, the biggest flaw of the Cody Firearms Museum reinstall, which we've talked about, is the we, we tell stories about people, but we, there, aren't, there aren't a lot. Of, you don't see a lot of people, um, right. visitors. You see lots of visitors. But, like, that kind of human aspect, even though we talk about it, is not really visualized except for some of the videos that we've done. We could have done some more photos or something. Yeah. But then, but as we talked about it back then, it gets overwhelming. Like, where do you draw the line? You don't want to, like, you want to show diversity in gun ownership, but you don't want to, you know, fall under tokenism, you know. And, and we also had, like, some very clear mandates of, like, get more guns on display. Get more guns on display. We had people. You know what? I can say it. You know, there were people at the organization that didn't want us talking about uncomfortable things, yeah. you know. And so, you know, there were a lot of things that we can go back and talk about bureaucracy and all the things that you have to do to ultimately get a museum reopened. But, um, you know, I think if I were a new gun owner and I was coming through here and it just so happened that there was the firearms museum, I mean, I think I think there's a human aspect of it that we wanted that we could do better on. How? I'm not sure. But I think... You know, I think it's something that if I were coming through here and I was a gun owner, you know, I would find this to be really interesting. But maybe, you know, I might not see myself in it. That's that's an interesting take. So I'll flip that around and ask it in another like. So if you let's say you're Ashley, new gun owner, not Ashley historian, you're Marley. Are you a new gun owner? Marley can be the new gun owner. (laughs) For people who don't know what that is, that's Marley, my service dog. He's at our feet. <laughs> <laughs> He's just been chilling all day. Um, so you're driving on your trip to Yellowstone because that opened up and you want to go. And you see an ad for like a billboard for the museum. You come in, there's a gun museum. You go through it. Do you think this makes you more interested in firearms history? Or do you think it's a sort of overwhelming like, oh, I didn't know what I was getting into when I bought a gun? <laughs> Um, I mean, there's obviously overwhelming elements to our museum, but I would think you'd be more interested. But I think if you're a new gun owner, you're not so concerned with more guns being on display. I think the things that would intrigue you would be the interactives Mm -hmm. and I think our videos. Um, I think so. I think, you know, that that cost of war video. I was trying to find it for Memorial Day because I wanted to run it on their page. But I don't think I downloaded it and saved it on my computer, Mm. which is a bummer. But, you know, there's those 
videos show a human aspect, right. you know, where we can't always put it in the museum. So I would think you'd probably be more interested. I think that our front cases, I mean, you've been here now. I, right. I haven't been living here for a year, but I would still think our front cases would be something that would really draw a I mean, new gun owner in for them to realize that, like, it's not just this very one-note culture that they're getting themselves into. It's, look, it's Abercrombie & Fitch. It's Louisville Slugger. It's Ford Automotives. People literally sit and take pictures of those things. Yeah. Camille is our best market research on those three cases. That is true. We should have just done a museum with like a case and a gun and some cool history. We both would have been fired. But We definitely both would have been fired. But I mean, it, I guess what I'm getting at is like, it's a question we wrestle with like all the time. Like what's the visitor experience like? And this is a subset of that. What is the experience like for someone that's just bought a firearm for the first time? And it is so like... In some sense, I'm thinking our listeners are, are you know, th- they're taking this podcast and be like, what do you mean you can't know what it's like to experience your museum as a visitor? Like, but I I cannot experience the museum that we created. Like, I've never experienced it as a visitor. Oh, no, you wrote it. And like, so I go in there, I don't see things the same way a visitor would. And it's. Well, and that's because like you and I have so much context behind it, so we might see it. But does the first right. person that has no knowledge do they see it? So I know what I meant to display there, but I don't recognize what I displayed there. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think I already know this answer, but uh, in terms of there's a lot of when we're talking about new gun owners, we're talking about you know museum exhibits there's a lot of change in the museum world as well with the concept of you know letting people that really steers away from curators being the excuse me the absolute authority and you know wanting visitors to kind of write their own narratives i mean that's that shows bias on my opinion of what that of what that movement looks like but the idea of inclusion and voices that are not always interpreted in history but then also not just the inclusion of those voices but those voices like actually those voices you know so not just us writing about, you know, Native history or Black history, but like people from those communities that study this, you know, actually having, you know, a representative from the communities that are represented in our museum, like speaking to it. I mean, you're you're probably right and you already know the answer, but I I think it's important because that was one of, that was a key effort we tried to do is like bring new voices to firearms history. Um, A front mural, yeah. I mean, we made an effort to do that. I, there's certainly more we could have done and maybe more we should have done, but we we, we worked with what we had at the time. Um, it, and so I, that was a focus of the museum. So I, I realized the importance of that. I do think there's a part of the field that is like very much like they want to, you know, elim- or lessing curator authority and empower visitors and all that sort of stuff. And I don't even know how you begin to meaningfully do that um, in a museum setting. I also tend to think that that sort of line of thinking comes from like the part of the field that is mostly the academic side of the field that has not actually worked in museums very often. That's very accurate. Well, when you think about, you know, I think any time you can increase educational programming within the galleries, people in the galleries able to talk about different things, you know, so you've got your guy that can talk about military, but then you've also got someone that can talk about, um, you know, I'm thinking because we have the Plains Indian Museum here, so I'm thinking like Native experience, uh, you know, because reservation history is – 
very controversial in terms of firearms confiscation, firearms ownership. Right. Um, you know, having voices like that in the gallery. Um, do you think that? Do you think that has like does that? I, I mean, you can say does it add value, and I assume it adds value. But do you think it would? like make someone who's a new gun owner that maybe doesn't fit the stereotype, like be like, oh, look, you know, this is something I never thought of. Or I found I feel that there's value here because, you know, there's you know someone like me, you know, who's had experience within this world that I can talk to. That's a man. That's a good question. And when it, I'd like to. Oh, sorry. I just want to before I let you go, because I want to like clarify, because I feel like we talk about this a lot as a society. And then I also feel like it's also super rude to assume that someone who's you know, if you're native, someone who's also native is going to share, you know, the share of the same experiences. So like, I get it and I don't all at the same time. I feel like it's, you know, a great concept and also can be really, you know, stereotyping too. Yeah. It can almost be like overblown. Like we take it to the level of like, all right, so two, (laughs) two white kids wrote these labels and now no other races can enjoy the museum. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we we got influence from, you know, every, like any group that we really talked about the museum, we had people that we talked to about it and content. So I, I think to an extent, it's so hard to tell the, like the voice of who wrote it. And it went through so many layers of editing before content made it onto a label that, um, or at least for like the text panels, the text, the object labels, those were a little less edited and we still find ones that are wrong, but uh, oh yeah, like <laughs> the, the script for the museum went through so many layers of editing and so many, so many different Voices. inputs that it's hard to say that there's one voice that stands out that would turn someone away. Maybe it doesn't resonate as strongly as if they could clearly tell who was behind it. Um, but that would be really difficult to make it clear who's behind it and remain, I think, objective in the museum. And I know not everybody in the field would even agree that we should try to be objective anymore. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. Sorry, just quick inter- interjection there is that we we had all of these voices represented and all of this input of people from people who loved guns to people who hated guns from people from different backgrounds, all of this stuff. And we applied for a grant with the government um, and they had originally given us a, a pre-planning grant. And then when we tried an interpretive grant. They literally said that it sounded like the script was like, you know, just some, you know, old white male text. And I was like, like, I'm literally a woman, like, what, like, like a 20-something-year-old woman, like, you know, and they just like, so we had gone, right. not only had we had gone through all of the attempts to go to different people from different backgrounds, from different educational levels, to different attitudes about firearms to help inform our text, but... I, the project director, am a twenty-something-year-old woman, and the people reviewing the NEH grant were just like assumed I was an old white guy. Right, like they were the ones doing the assuming. Yeah, sorry, I just had to like, you know. So you're right in that in that statement. You're right that like you know you can have all these voices, and you know ultimately, do people even know you know where they're coming from and that kind of thing? This might be really privileged of me to say, but I'm going to say that I think our efforts to diversify attitudes on firearms mattered more than our, like, to me, that's the important part of how we shape the text for the museum that would appeal to someone that's maybe new to this or a novice at firearms versus making sure that, um, you know, they strictly see themselves in the museum. I think trying to build a broad base for the text um, from a diversity of opinions, because that's, I mean, that's what you see when you read the text, right? Is you might not see the actual identity of all the people behind it, but you see what 
became an amalgamation of inputs. And I think that was the important part of how we shaped the museum. Well, and so I guess maybe last thing to start talking about is, you know, what is the role of a museum with a major firearms collection like ours? You know, what can we do to comfort new gun owners to provide information <laughs> for yeah not comfort yeah, but like right. but like can we do something that helps them feel empowered in their kind of new endeavor um, that may surprise them may be more helpful right. than like other traditional avenues of watching YouTube videos of right. like you know how to assemble your gun that kind of thing so what can we as a museum do for new gun owners that will help them feel more comfortable in their new roles? I don't know if it's a question of making them feel like more comfortable with their new like ownership. As I mean, if anything, it's asking how do we make them more comfortable engaging with the museum? And because um, I don't know that we're here to make them like, we're not here to solve their like potential buyer's remorse or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, we're not with, we're not here to make them feel good about their right, choices. Like, we but we want them to understand like the broader context of their choices. Um, <laughs> that was still really loud. <laughs> we, for our listeners we tried to save Oh we yeah, just leave it in. Leave it I, in. I was gonna do that thing where I like didn't where I said cut it out so that you guys wouldn't cut yeah. it out. But then then we, I, I don't remember what episode we said we were going to do that on. I think this one. We tried to save Ashley from coughing in your ear, but it didn't work. <laughs> I tried. I was doing hand signals and everything. Um, but anyways, it, it's not so much like saving them from having buyer's remorse, um, but we want them to understand the broader context of firearms history. So that's our goal here. You know, it's not to convince them that they made the right or wrong choice. No, I didn't mean it like that. Well, yeah, I, I was being a little bit hard on your question, I <laughs> guess. Fine. But well, I guess do okay. It's it's coming. Okay. It's in my brain. It's percolating. Ruminating. Mm, percolating. Uh, okay, so I guess it's you know what can we do as a museum, or you know, is it even our role? Because I, I it's not there. But what I'm trying to say, <laughs> trying to say is like. I really do see, and I don't want to jump to the like, season finale, but I really do see like new gun owners having the ability to have a lot more autonomy in their own, you know, in their own choices, um, and not be so influenced by like the very long-standing, you know, kind of not oppressive, but very powerful image of like what gun owners are. So like, I think that they've got a chance to do that, and I feel like them knowing the history of what we talked about in the first episode, like knowing the history and the fact that they're not alone, they're not weird, they're you know a part of this history, and they've been a part of this history for a really long time. Like I feel like having them engage in that way almost would maybe empower them to you know want to be more vocal about you know who they are as gun owners, which ultimately down the road would impact you know, how people overall would feel about firearms and, you know, politicians and all that stuff. Because we're going to lose. Yeah, never mind. I'm done. No, I, I see where you're going, though, because it's... Camila doesn't. That that was the face of someone who did not know where I was going. No, it was the face of, oh, she didn't finish. Oh, uh, <laughs> I just beat myself up about it. Oh, uh, I don't remember. It was like, it was politicians. Uh, because I do think that, like, this... 
this debate about firearms and the politicization of the gun um, is so fractured right now. Like, I mean, it's just so like we're losing the spectrum and we're only getting like angry people on both sides and which makes actual dialogue on violence very, very difficult. And so I don't necessarily see that changing during our lifetime. But if there's new gun owners that know their history and know that they've been a part of this and they can really start to, you know, just be comfortable with their ownership, then that ultimately gets them to speaking to other people and making it realize that this, you know, being a gun owner isn't an identity. And down the road, that can change, you know, people's views on firearms, that can change, you know, how we talk about it. And if we weren't so focused on the gun and the politics behind the gun, like we might actually be able to address real concerns of like mental illness, firearms, you know, suicide. But until, until we kind of like, calm ourselves down focusing on the you know the one thing that's a great political talking point I feel like we don't get anywhere with any of it and so I just kind of think that the new gun owners if they feel like they can be a part of this and that they don't have to like ascribe to a narrative then they can ultimately help even if they don't think they can help and they don't want to be activists or advocates just their mere existence and not being scared away from it will help down the road so I, apparently, I, I didn't know where you were going. I thought you were going a different Honestly, direction. Honestly, I, I, I probably was, but that <laughs> went my soapbox. Let's change the world one uh, <laughs> apathetic gun at a time. Interesting. Interesting choice of words. But <laughs> yeah. I was going to think, I mean, since you chose the word autonomy, I think that's a – because that crosses a, a couple of lines because you, you talked about the political autonomy that they don't have to fit a certain um, mold, although I'm pretty sure I can hear one of our listeners probably being like, well, if they keep voting for politicians that want to restrict certain things, like there's that argument to be made. But the autonomy line I thought you were going for was that like they don't have to be they don't have to appreciate a part of firearms just because all the other firearms owners like that. So like you know, yeah, no, you no, no. C- I mean, that was part of where I was going, and then right. I, like, and then I veered left, but. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. I didn't even try to do that, but here we are. Um, But to use like the collecting analogy, you know, if they, let's say they bought a new gun, see a firearms museum, come in here, learn about history, say, you know what, that's really interesting. I want to explore what my options are. Get into that a little bit. Um, They don't necessarily have to come at it from a place of like, like when I started collecting, I started talking to people. It was very clear, like, oh, this is this is the trendy thing. This is the collectible. Like, it was, you were sort of funneled a certain way, um, but that's not necessarily true for them. I yeah. mean, depending, it kind of depends how they get into it, if they get into it. Um, but there's the amount of new owners, just the sheer by the fact of the sheer volume. I think brings some shakeup of those fun, what those funnels were. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yes. Oh, good. I'm glad you made some. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to think about like how it applies back to a museum setting. Um, uh, you know, and, and is it you know new gun owners like would they be more interested in like acquiring as much information as possible? So maybe they would be you know an avenue where like they'd be like, oh, a gun museum, I could go and learn. The history right. of that that might be really interesting and so are they are they almost more potentially i mean you can't categorize everyone but potentially more 
open to hearing the history right. that we wrote than people that come in that are already gun owners that think they know the history and then get really mad at us for us telling them it's something else. Right. Do, are <laughs> they a more like open-minded audience than somebody that's like really upset that we don't have a display of like every 22 rifle ever made or you know even like the comes back to the conversation of why you know why don't you have the second amendment plastered up right super huge in our museum and we're like the second amendment's in a couple of different places but that we're in it well i mean we're an international although our you know collections much more american but like we're an international museum right. that has to cover hundreds of years of history and while the second amendment is important to american history you know it's like we could always do a temporary exhibit on the second amendment right um but it's that kind of mindset of like a gun owner like that's been around for a long time they have a preconceived notion of what they're going to find here whereas a new gun owner may not um, and they may add this to like you like you said I think or maybe it was Camila you want to go to Yellowstone cool oh there's a gun museum like I've been getting really into that so like let's go and see yeah. what we can learn there yeah like what do we offer that maybe appeals to them yeah because there's like going back to the beginning there's sort of like a there's an interpretation thing of do we, is there something in the museum that we need to highlight for them? And then there's the marketing of like, what do we have that might appeal to them? I yeah. mean, they're sort of intertwined, but, um, you know, because <laughs> to your point about the Second Amendment plaster on the wall, one, I, one of those, there's a relatively small but vo- sometimes vocal group of people that are, and we've talked about this in previous seasons, that are upset that we don't have like a giant, Second pro Second Amendment statement somewhere, and then in the they museum. get even madder that we've got that mural. Yeah, and then they don't like the mural. Generally, they go hand in hand. But like the mural, was, the mural that's uh, the Time Magazine mural with 250 people represented across the gun debate. In case good explanation, I was ready to skip right over that and confuse <laughs> the our listeners. mural. Yeah, um, <laughs> then we're like, "What's on this mural? We gotta come." Well, hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't know, confused. Come on and be more confused. Yeah, us too. <laughs> um, but I've had one of those proponents be like. Well, if it wasn't for the Second Amendment, this museum wouldn't exist. And it was like, <laughs> well, I mean, Europe has lots. Yeah, of gun, there's plenty of gun, gun, gun museums aren't really on the chopping block of the debate. Maybe someday they will. Well, be, I mean, but. they're on the chopping block when they weirdly get in, like entwined into right. modern gun laws. But um, you know, and, and I think the important thing to to mention too is that when we built the museum, we built it with the mindset of someone can come in with no knowledge. We weren't anticipating 8 million new gun owners, but we built the museum with the mindset that, you know, this was a place where you can know nothing and come in and know something uh, or learn something. It was meant to be as a place to start from as much as possible and neutral. And that was kind of where I was going with that Second Amendment story is that like... Oh, did I interrupt you? Not really. I mean, it was a good point. (laughs) I was just going to say like, that one, we, we specifically chose to only put it in in small doses because we wanted this to be um, – universal is the wrong word. But we wanted this to be a place where somebody could start from zero and get an impression of firearms history. If we plaster that way up front, then that's not starting from zero. That's starting from 100 or who knows what yeah, number it's like, you want to use. That's 300 miles an hour. Right. That's going pretty deep into it probably well, too quickly. And uh, so... Sorry, I'll let you finish your thought and I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just offering that broader context so that there's a lot of potential interest. You know, if, you, if you're if you somebody that bought a gun, and, and this is, I think, giving ourselves a pat on the back a little bit, so apologies for that. But if you're somebody that bought a gun 
without a lot of broader context, you happen to visit here, I think it's appealing that you could go through the museum and then have a lot of potential entry points into the history of firearms rather than a really politicized viewpoint of the history right up front. I guess, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And then, like, I think about our museum, and my only concern with that with new gun earners coming in with very different perspectives, um, very different backgrounds, is does their, like, the the piece of history that they would relate to the most, does it get buried in all the guns and the labels? And Maybe. I mean, I, I would assume to that's, some extent, like, if you have someone that comes in that's not a new gun owner, but just someone that doesn't know anything about guns, like, we've heard them. They're like, oh, my God, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. But, like, if someone's coming in wanting to find something that relates to their history, I would think that maybe that would get buried in here and they may not be able to find that. And I don't know in interpretation standards how... Uh, how you actually go about, you know, helping the people that need to find a personal connection to something. Like, how, how do you even do that? Yeah, I think, I mean, and this, I've thought this even before we were having the discussion about the potential of an entirely new, I mean, because you, you mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago, is like, when we made this, when we sort of designed and we're working on this project, of course, we had no idea that there were just suddenly, within a span of a few months, going to be this many new you know, if you told museums, because there's, we haven't gotten super far into this, but there's this whole discussion about like museums are struggling right now, even before COVID, especially after COVID, to like find their audience. And of all the museums in the U.S., there's approximately 30 firearms museums that just had a new audience like spring up nearly overnight yeah. in museum terms. So there's that whole debate. And now I lost my train of thought. You know, it might be a value, and I know people oh, don't I know like. What I was going to say. Oh, you finish, and then I'll say. So, what I was going to say is, but for that new audience, even before that new audience, our biggest strength was our biggest weakness as well. So, our biggest strength is that we have a really broad collection, and we get to display more of a better percentage of it than just about any other firearms museum there is. Yeah. That's also our biggest weakness because you come into the museum and our visitors get overwhelmed. Yeah. So those, on the one hand, it's deeply impressive, I think, to people that visit and have some knowledge of firearms or learn a little bit here. But on the other hand, I think it wears them out a lot faster. Yeah. So I think for those visitors, I think you're right in what you asked earlier is that does some of the stuff that would connect with them get lost in the volume, you know, talking about just the scope of the collection on display. And I think it probably does, but I don't know. It's one, I don't, realistically, we can't practically take that back, but I also think there's still some use in having the, that quantity there. Well, and we also talked about like, you know, are there not virtual exhibitions, but like, can you, and I know like audio exhibitions are not, you know, are kind of going to the wayside or like, no, sorry, audio exhibitions, like audio tours, um, you know, be like, is there a way where you can be like, here's the social history mm-hmm. of firearms, here's the technical history of firearms, here's the blah, 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 you know, and then like almost, you know, it's like it's a piece of paper or it's a QR code that you can scan and basically the museum and when you start getting on the computer and the phone app and all that stuff, I know it gets way, way out of our realm of, you know, it becomes a lot bigger and a bigger you know endeavor. But like it would be cool if you could like go through the museum or you could like scan a QR code and that QR code popped up and it was like 
I want a social history tour or yeah. I want a technical tour. And, you know, because you could do whatever you want if you didn't want to do that. But then you go through, you know, you click that and it kind of t- gives you a pathway um, to hearing that. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. I've always wanted – this is a sidebar, but I've always wanted to do a playlist tour of the museum. Of, like, Top Guns? Huh. <laughs> I mean – I like that I Good turn one. around, like I lean over the computer. Yeah, you, it's like, you like Camila? Do you like that? Like <laughs> you're like instantly playing to the audience. <laughs> and then, of course, Camila was mad because I leaned away from my mic. <laughs> um, no, like firearms related songs. So, like starting with oh, cool. So, like have the Hunters of Kentucky about Kentucky long rifles and. Um, like the Steel Drivers song that is about muskets, the sticks that made thunder. And like various points have all these like songs. And there's some that are critiques of firearms. There's some that are probably celebrating firearms. Um, but I think Can, just like a music-based tour of the That would be so would be cool. Awesome. Could 99 Problems be on it? Because... I mean, it's, How do you know it's not already on the playlist that I'm building for this? <laughs> I mean, it sh- I mean, it should be. For I think this needs to happen. Thank you. I think I agree. I mean, it's really cool, and it's it's well. Do we have the like? Do we have to get rights to all this music? I think we could do it because QR codes are coming. Does back. Con- does Kanye have? Does Kanye have some gun related music? Uh, I have. I don't know. But 99 Problems is actually, like, I, for some reason, I think I've been listening to Pop 2K too much. Like, I keep hearing it, like, every, it, like, I literally heard it every time I took my stepdaughter to school, like, the past six months. Um, but, like, no, there's a lot of really interesting modern narrative. Uh, well, it's modern narrative, but it's, you know, from, um, you know, I don't even know how old that song is. But they talk about, you know, that's a police black right. ownership, like, kind of, it's an interesting narrative. Um, but at the same point, if you're going to do that, um, and would you also incorporate, and now I've just gone totally off the rails, but I really think this is an interesting conversation because I find this to be one of the most vile songs that we dance to at bars, which is Pumped Up Kicks. That'd be a really good question. I th- I think in this kind of music tour, you probably could incorporate that. Um, but man, that, it would be tough. That song, like, that song is so hard. But, you know, you also, if, if you, you could also do another one, Bites the Dust. Because I actually, like, for a long time, never had any, like, I did not know that song was about a shooting. Like, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, those would be, those would be tough. But I think if you're going to do, like, an honest, mu- I mean, because obviously then you're viewing the entire collection through a lens of, a certain lens of popular culture. Yeah. And so if you're going to explore the whole lens, there's positive and negative that you got to go, go through. Um, but I think it could be really interesting. I think that would be really, really interesting. Um, would Now I'm like, tell me all every detail because I'm sure you've thought it out. So would it just be you're walking through the museum and hearing the music? Or would you be getting some kind of analysis? Like what? In general so far, the easiest implementation that I've thought of so far is that you go through the museum and at various points um, you can – either you start at the front and you get um, – like you scan a QR code that takes you to like a playlist and then you just wander the museum with so- these songs playing or you like go to certain points like, you know, playlist stop one, playlist stop two. And then each one of those you like can QR code to a, the song for that spot. You know, that actually sounds like a great, I mean, it'd be great to have in the museum all the time, but it sounds like a great temporary exhibit too yeah. um, where you could, that way you could actually have the interpretation something you go to 
And, you know, there's a museum in Phoenix called the, called the Musical Instruments Museum. And they do a really cool job of, like, when you – I don't – I think it's just the sound. I don't think it's, like, in headphones or anything. I can't remember. It's been a while. Like, literally, you start approaching where the instruments are, and they start playing the music from that, that region or whatever. And then, mm-hmm. like, as you walk away, it fades away. It's super cool. That feels like I'm now just causing you to have to fundraise a lot of money for this. But I think that – it's a, our temporary exhibit spaces lends itself to you know kind of that, like that circle of starting with an early you know an early song. Now I'm thinking of like a like a shanty or well, and there's a lot of modern songs exploring historical topics. So there's like the early period song that is Hunters of Kentucky. Um, for our listeners, that is why we that song is why we know the Kentucky long rifle as the Kentucky long rifle and not strictly the Pennsylvania or American long rifle because it celebrates the Kentucky volunteers that used rifles at the Battle of New Orleans. And it was a huge hit in its day. Um, But then there's more modern songs like the Steel Driver song that I referenced um, where they're describing a Civil War battle and, you know, like, the sticks that made thunder are trees sort of like playing witness to this battle, recognizing that something like them, the Woodstocks, is, you know, making these um, clouds of fire and smoke. And then the men that they see, you know, some of them don't leave. So it's like this very dramatic, you know, it's a very poignant um, song. And then uh, that same band has a, or same group has a song about why am I called a peacemaker? Hmm. So, and it's about a cult. Peacemaker. So there's there's some really interesting songs to pick from. All I kept thinking when you said Civil War was Some Nights by Fun. <laughs> fun period. That's not and, and that I was song already not like, on my radar for this. I, I, I was already like dancing to the drums. I was like, yeah. In pre COVID like, times we probably could have had like headphone stations. Yeah. Uh, it'll get back. We'll right. get there. But anyways, we're somewhat off topic. But what No, is, I mean, but we're not though, because this addresses you know, how gun museums can better attract a different audience and or, you know, provide an audience with, you know, a different experience, something they wouldn't expect from a gun museum. And I think a playlist, <clears throat> a playlist is something that would be really unique. And then especially if there's songs that people know, you know, it's right. like you start you like have the historic music, but then you also like grab in the. There's got to be know, a couple like recognizable points for people. 99 Problems. 99 Problems. Another one bites the dust. Okay. Oh, Russian Roulette by Rihanna. That's actually a really interesting one. And we talk about early examples of like where the term Russian Roulette, it's called Russian Roulette, isn't it? Yes. Um, Well, I don't know if the song is the... Oh. (laughs) Sorry, I was like, yeah, (laughs) the game's called Russian Roulette. He answered so fast. I was like, didn't realize you were a big (laughs) Riri fan there, Danny. Um, That song's a really powerful song. I used to like belt it out when I was a kid. Um, It might just be called Roulette. No, it's Russian Roulette. Okay, um, but we have, and th- and that's where if you weren't doing a temporary exhibition, you could have musical like stations because we, in our timeline of misuse of a firearm, we talk about the literary, you know, initial literary use of the term Russian roulette, and then it goes into like literally like the next line is like a a, a case, a criminal case. I think it was Pennsylvania actually where the kids were playing Russian roulette and they died. Uh, one of them died, and so it's. You know, you those are those moments where you could actually have that. So if you're looking at long rifles, then, you know, the hunters of Kentucky can, you know, pop up in your headphones or whatever we're allowed to do. And, you know, so that would be the way that you would do it. Um, 
you know, military songs, you know, right. in the in the gallery, uh, in our military history gallery. We don't really have a lot on, you know, social history, but I mean, you could incorporate some of those more. Well, I mean, there's some. So I'll just talk through some of the songs that I've already put on my playlist. Uh, so is this going to be like the hipster playlist where like I am coming up with songs people will actually recognize? Re- yes, okay. this is okay. what okay. is about yeah, to happen. Yeah. I've picked some nerdy choices, and you're going to pick. You're going to make it relatable to the masses. Okay. <laughs> sort of like what we did with this the like military literally, gallery. <laughs> literally, our entire working relationship. <laughs> I pick something nerdy, then you make it relatable. Yeah. So. There's already. Um, I would like to point out for the audience that Danny. I pulled has, up this playlist on my phone because I've already made it. Physical playlist that he is looking at on his phone. Are we allowed to play some? Are we allowed to play a snippet? Mm-hmm. All right. So I don't know what the easiest way to do that is. The easiest way would probably be Camila. You just sending her the music. Yeah, you tell me what it is, and I'll okay. look it up and I can play and just, it. Yeah. So there's the Hunters of Kentucky that we already talked about, and. There's then there's like a classic sort of Western song like Big Iron, you know, that Johnny Cash performed. Oh. And um, there's a couple others um, like that, the sort of that stereotypical Western image that could be included. Then there's a slightly um, a slight shift on that. There's Peacemaker by the Steel Drivers, which I mentioned, um, which is, you know, t- taking a gun that is. Um, well known in the West, associated with the West, and then singing the song essentially from the gun's perspective, like, why am I called this? The anthropomorphism of firearms, which, you know, people work really hard to not do. But it's an interesting song. No, it's super interesting. And it actually can drive that conversation as well. Right. Um, And then there's stuff like one of the ones I had picked out is there's (laughs) in my recent sea shanty listening phase that we all went through a few months ago. Well, I didn't go you through, didn't. but you just made me of... do it. Is it the song? I was just thinking, is it that song? Uh, no, it's the, well, there is that one that something mentions. Something silver and gold, something right. about a gun and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, th- but they're talking about harpooning a whale um, or whaling in general. But the one I actually picked is a along similar lines, or not similar genre, not similar lines. Um Blurred lines, if you will. (laughs) But it's The Cruel Wars by the Dreadnoughts. And it's a song uh, essentially about sort of enlisting, sort of being conscripted into the king's army to go fight in the Enlightenment-era wars in Germany. And, of course, that would be, I think, something to think about for the early part of our military gallery, like what kind of soldiers are using these. And English soldiers' life at the time, and what this song is about, is pretty rough. Um, so that would be one. Um, so yeah, there's a lot. I don't want to just like list them all, but then the, the last one I will mention is, um, or last two I'll mention, I guess, um, long violent history by Tyler Childers is, um, a really interesting song, I think for this kind of thing, because it describes like essentially what if a kid from the sticks in Appalachia that's poor and, um, somebody from the ghetto that is, you know, the, these two groups have a lot in common. And what if they realized it? And then, you know, and he directly refer- references like taking up arms. Um, you know, he, essentially he says, what if what's happening in the cities right now happened in somewhere in rural Appalachia, like those injustices? 
and then describes how a lot of these, you know, uh, country guys would essentially be taking up their 30 out six um, to fight these things. Yeah. I would like to add uh, for consideration Goodnight Saigon by Billy Joel. Okay. That would be a really good one, uh, although it's really long. <laughs> I mean, this could be a pretty long list. Well, or it could be snippets. I mean, you could take yeah, could very poignant moments. And then I'm thinking, depending on our interpretation, like where the interpretation, because we don't do a lot with this, but like the night, the lights went out in Georgia is a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's so many good ones. It, um, it, it kind of goes back to, you've talked about this before, like firearms depicted in art. You know, there's there's quite a bit. Of, we don't think of it as something readily available, but there's quite a bit of it. And firearms depicted in song... We don't readily think about that, but there's a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it's like you could do that with every pop culture genre, but I do think right. music is a music's very powerful. And like, I know that like when I listen to some of those songs, you know, and they talk about firearms, but like you, I mean, it's very like it makes me like they make you sad, they make you feel things, which is stuff that we wanted in the museum. Um, and I was thinking like one area where it could be interesting would be like our timeline. You know, you could start like you could do a lot of what you were saying. And then like in the conversation corner where you've got all of these timelines, you could throw a song like Another One Bites the Dust or Pumped Up Kicks that like people don't like don't realize, you right. know, and like you force them to listen to it, you know, and, and realize like you're literally at a bar dancing to either of those songs, uh, <laughs> you know, just casually. And like, you know, in, in, in my thoughts for something like that would be it's the conversation corner. So it's like, you know, sh- you know, we're, we talk about our, in our culture today, like what we should and should not be praising or glorifying. And so it's a great question of like, should these songs even like exist in today's yeah. culture? I, just, I think I like this. This is also a great example of us trying to stay on topic, and but then kind of going on a tangent. But I think it was actually valuable because it does actually show a way that museums could look at some of these topics in ways that people who might not be your typical gun guy coming into here, you know, that wants to see every gun. That is a way that like someone who is a new gun owner or really just someone that doesn't know anything about guns would be like, oh, my God, I never like I know all this music. And I never looked at it that way. Because, I mean, to bring it back on topic is, like, what practically can we do? Because we can't re-renovate the museum. No. Like, that's not an option. And I we, don't think we ultimately need to. I think it's right. got a great base. Yeah. and It's all about that base. <laughs> now I'm just going to, like. <laughs> oh, man. We're way down. But, no, like, there's, <laughs> at some point, this discussion is sort of like all the, like, <laughs> you, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm not sure our listeners were, will, but it's like all the collectors groups being like, how do we get a younger crowd? And like, how do we do the social They're media? Like, guys, guys, like, hear me out. Video games. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's like, sort of like but there's like, literally like nothing behind that. It's just yeah. like, wait, wait, wait. This is, games. in some ways, this is a cringy conversation about trying to stay relevant um, without some practical application. And I think, the music tour or something like it is something that is achievable. Yeah. Um, I would I would say in most museums, but I don't know that every museum is faced with – museums are faced with certain challenges and opportunities coming out of COVID. Ours is really unique in that whereas other museums are facing how do people be tourists again, we're facing how do people be tourists again, and oh, by the way, there's a big chunk of newly interested people. Yeah. So what do we do with that? Um so yeah, like uh, short of changing out a major exhibit or some major theme that would probably 
miss the mark, like what do we do? Yeah. And this is an option. So one quick thought and then I think a good conclusion ponderance. Uh, my quick thought that I wanted to say earlier, but then we got into this really interesting conversation on playlist, and it was that, you know, since I'm not, you know, running the museum anymore, it would be up to you. And I know that a lot of people don't like surveys, but it would actually be pretty interesting to do a survey and like, you know, as people come in and ask them, like, are you a new gun owner? Like, do you, have you bought a, you know, did you buy your first gun within the, like during the pandemic? Yes. You know, or on their way out, you know, and gain their, like, it would be a great way to gain a, their perspective. An awesome survey to conduct in the museum right now. Because like, we've done, we've done surveys of people that aren't familiar with guns and pe- right. surveys of people who really are familiar. So it'd be interesting if you could grab that, group, that one to see if, are they here? Yeah. Did they yeah, even bother coming? Yeah, to are they actually here? Um, do they exist? <laughs> Is it just a myth? Yeah. Um, and then the, the conclusion that I think would be an interesting topic um just briefly is do you think we've ever converted somebody into being a gun owner it's not the goal of the museum i mean the goal of the museum to be clear is to provide people with more context to make their own decisions whether that's oh i like guns now or oh i hate them even more now or somewhere in between so it's not the goal of the museum is to get someone to be a gun owner but when you've got the nature of a gun museum do you think we've ever done that i don't know that we've ever converted them to being a gun owner I know we've converted people to being gun collectors because I've had those conversations in the gallery. Yeah, I had a conversation one time. I was just like walking through the gallery and a guy was like, hey, do you work here? And I was like, yeah, what can I help you with? You know, trying to be my friendly, good museum staffer. And he's like, where can I get a Winchester, like an old Winchester? I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know. I'm just really fascinated by all this. I like, I want to, I want to go get an old Winchester. And it happened to be like the weekend of like the Winchester Arms Collector show. So I'm like, well, you're kind of in luck today. And so, like, I told him where the show was and, like, talked to him a little bit about it. So that one, I'm sure – I don't know if we converted him into, like, full-on collector, but certainly generated an interest in old firearms. I yeah. mean, so there's that. And I know through the tours that Kirsten does, like, there are people – there's been a lot of instances where people have booked those tours, especially, like, husband-wives – and the wife will sort of begrudgingly go along. And then at the end of the tour be like, this is actually really interesting history that I want to learn more about. Yeah. That's happened m- multiple times. Well, and I think, you know, we, we shouldn't give ourselves enough credit or too much credit for uh, the conversion of non-gun owners to gun owners because Camila has been listening to us for multiple yeah. <laughs> years and she still doesn't own a gun and has no yeah. intention to. So yeah. I, I've, that's true. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like if we, like, so I don't lie, we wrote the museum. So I'm pretty sure the answer is actually no, because if we can't, <laughs> if we can't convince someone who is a super close friend who listens to us at nauseum to even try it, to even okay. <laughs> consider this is unfair because um, I you you two have made me very interested in guns. I now understand the history. I think the history is really interesting. But do I feel the need for a gun? No. Do I feel the need to collect a gun or any type of <laughs> but gun? But can you collect a gun? Yes. Just one? I, I, is that a collection? <laughs> Just to make us <laughs> to, our pre- it to our previous episode, is that a collection? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I yeah no I don't I don't have any desire and I I don't know but I don't think that's a failure on your your part I think that's just we're just better at getting people interested how, how in the history which is our which job is, yeah I which mean the history just, for me is super fascinating and I I love that I'm learning that through from you too 
but I just I don't feel the desire to spend money and time. So what you're saying is it's probably really good that we're not activists or pundits because we would <laughs> we have conv- we have made you interested in the most boring part. <laughs> yeah, how much how much interest in this museum is due to our writing skills and how much is due to objects have power and they're the cool part. Well, I think probably for most people who come through the museum, it's the object. I yeah. don't think most people I think read. that's true for virtually any museum. The you, labels are only a partial. Labels or whatever. Nobody reads labels no, except I for angry labels. young guys. But no, I mean, our, in our museum. Oh. Uh, fonts well, I've small. read your labels before. I've oh, all of, them? all no, of them? not all of them. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I disagree with you that people don't, I mean, I don't read when I go to museums. But there are been, like, when in my experience, you know, before I moved, you know, there were a lot of women that weren't interested in looking at the guns, but because we had the text chunked up so that it wasn't like one yeah. giant text panel, they were like, what, what, like pointing at the panel. Yeah. So I think the way that we did go about breaking up the content did let people who really didn't care to stare at the guns, you know, soak into some, some like historical, like some general history, but then also some like pullouts of things that people might not notice, like the role of assembly lines prior to Well, to Ford. that point, I mean, you guys did a great job with these first, whatever these are, these first Collection three panels. Okay. Collection what? Connections. Connections. That so for listeners, it's like, you know, the entrance hallway is pretty long into the Cody Firearms Museum and there's these panels and I sit my studio is in the entrance and I see these people and they sit down and read these panels and it, I mean, I haven't looked at them in a long time closely, but it's like a lot of words, right? <laughs> it's not that much There's not a lot of text. There it's, is. There's more ty- There's like only like one, one photo. Yeah, there's one object and then like yeah. 50 50 words. words I yeah. Think. yeah. Um, so what you're saying is we should have stopped while we were ahead. Well, I think no. my opinion on this is that the object, and this is why I disagree with the way a lot of modern museums do their interpretation or their displays, is that the objects have like, that's what draws people there, the stuff that was there, at least for history. Um and so to some degree, there's like, there is always a share of visitor interest that is a result of the artifacts themselves. We're competing for some level of the leftover in the arrangement of those artifacts and the explanation of those artifacts that goes along with it. So we're never going to be 100% why visitors are interested in this and probably not even ever over a majority. Like it's always, the majority is always going to be on the side of the object. For visitor interest, in my opinion. But do we reduce the power by putting quantity up? I don't think so. I think it could go either way. I mean, I can see the argument. Uh, like but we've against, done a but... good job of pulling certain things out for people to kind of digest. But, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I'm tired. I, I see how we could. I think in, <laughs> if anywhere we do it, it's on the timeline. Yeah. Other parts of the museum, it's not so obvious. So I think in those instances. You mean, like, when we... <laughs> Deleted a case and completely forgot to display the first M1 Garmin. Yeah, that like that. <laughs> but well, I think we've been talking for a while. It seems like um, so we should probably. I would like to put a call to action to our visitors. Call okay. So visit or not visitors. Vi- so visitors. Visitors, uh, listeners. If you made it this far into our tangent of an episode, I want to hear. Your recommendation for a song that should be on a playlist about guns in a museum. And you can send that to History Unloaded 
at gmail.com. We don't have a Gmail. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got it for a really long time. No way. Do people know this? Uh, do people email you guys? Very occasionally. Most of the emails I get about the podcast come to my center email. What? Why wasn't I apprised of this? We told you when you needed to know. Oh. <laughs> Which was right now, apparently. Season five. Season Ashley five. finds out there's an email <laughs> account. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys later. That was so sad, but see (laughs) y'all. Next week on History Unloaded, we'll be talking about gun influencers and is Danny a gun bunny? Check it out on all your favorite podcast platforms.